if we fail to be a voice, to have a voice, what's happened to Iran can very well happen to us. 43 years ago, if you would have asked my father, um, who was a 20-something-year-old guy in Iran, that one day Iran is going to become the poorest country of the world and its people are going to be miserable and it be ruled by a dictatorship, he would have laughed at your face. Be like, that's never happening to such great nation. 43 years later, look at Iran right now. And the only reason that happened is for so many years, people were scared, were afraid, were not being the voice, were not doing anything and allowed this system of government to have complete power. This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think but don't ask out loud, either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission, and yours if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. I want to start off by saying I'm not a journalist, a fact that caused me to be pretty intimidated to approach this episode. But part of what I do like to talk about is, you know, the stuff that no one else is really talking about. Some weeks, that's the history of cannibalism and others, it's Iran. So welcome to the show. My guest was a total gift. She breaks down why we should care about Iran in plain language and paints a very clear picture of the difference between the people of Iran and the Iranian government. She makes far-off events relevant by relating them to things that many others have themselves experienced. In our pre-chat, she stated that people are beautiful, politics are ugly. A sentiment I've always shared, but I used it as an excuse for ignorance and non-involvement. Shadi really helped break this mental barrier for me, being what I consider a critical part of my process to see the world and its people as One, not just spiritually, but in a practical way, safety, economy, liberty. Also, a few housekeeping things. When you hear her say my country and our government, she's referring to the U.S. The $60 billion deal that she refers to between Iran and China happened in 2021, and it's a 25-year agreement. Also, I went to the UNICEF's Instagram page to see if what Shadi said was true, to see if they had indeed not even posted about Iran. I saw one post made a week before we recorded that you really had to watch in order to realize it was even about Iran. And then they did post a more obvious statement about the violence in Iran on November 19th that sounded, it sounded like a legal statement. So I want to encourage you to listen to the end of this episode because in the last 15 minutes, she shares super practical and easy ways that you can support the people of Iran. And as always, I appreciate all of you, newbies, the here and there listeners, and the loyal weekly curiositors. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. 40% of college enrollment was female. Women voted, dressed to the current fashions, and mixed with men freely. This may sound like I'm describing the present day in the U.S., but I'm not. This was Iran in the 1970s. But in 1979, the government changed from a monarchy to a theocracy, causing a mostly secular public 
to be ruled by radical Muslims, rolling back 70 years of women's rights. In September of 2022, 22-year-old Masa Amini was arrested by the morality police for not wearing her head covering properly. After three days of being beaten while in custody, she died. This caused an avalanche of what was shorter and more sporadic human rights protests to turn to widespread demonstrations. As of this recording, the protests have passed the 60-day mark and are occurring in all 31 provinces of Iran, with Gen Z at the forefront. All of this is not without consequences, however. Over 14,000 people have been arrested, and with the government running out of room in prisons, they are considering a mass execution. While this may sound like the history lesson and the news update that you didn't tune in for, it's relevant, I promise. Because many Americans consider Iran a place of chronic violence, terrorist activity, and human rights abuses. But it wasn't always that way. And my next guest is an Iranian-American trying to make a difference and answer the question, why should the world care about Iranian women's rights? Proud Persian, proud American, millennial activist, Shadi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking time. Hi, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, It means a lot for me to have a voice and be able to be the voice of the Iranian people. But not only that, as an American citizen, um, tell my fellow citizens about how the situation in Iran actually affects us and why is this particular country very important in our economy and safety and future? Um, Well, a lot of, uh, from what I've heard, a lot of U.S., Canadian, and European people who are Iranian living in those countries are quiet about their experiences and their knowledge of what's happening in Iran, you know, to protect their families back home. So for you, what contributes to your boldness of speaking out? So my father was actually a political prisoner at the beginning of the revolution for five years. Um, my uncle was there for four years. My grandma was imprisoned for her religion um, for two years. And I was kicked out of an honors program school at the age of 11 because of my religion. So I, anything that could have possibly happened to my family has already happened to us. Um, in the recent protests, some of my cousins were imprisoned and tortured So I feel like if I don't speak up and if I don't be their voice, things are just going to get worse. Um, and uh, it's, it's my duty to say something and to raise awareness and to help these people. And you have relatives in prison now? Um, two of my cousins were in prison. Um, luckily they were able to come out with an agreement that they're going to stay at home and quiet, but at any point they can come and take them back. Um, if the protest, if they decide that they need to, um, get everybody back to prison. Uh, luckily they were running, running out of space to keep people in prison. So some of the people who were not as threatening to them were released, but majority are still there and at the risk of being executed. And I know you mentioned 14,000. That's just the number they have reported. We know now that the number is well over 20,000, 30,000 maybe. Um, And the prisoners include children that are 16, 17 year old. They actually recently started um, throwing tear gas at houses and setting houses in fire while people were sleeping, including um, two infants actually died in house fire. 
they started shooting at random cars. An eight-year-old boy was dead in the car while he was driving home with her dad, with his dad. So um, at this moment, they're cutting off electricity and water. I know we initially knew that they were cutting off internet, but now they're shutting down electricity. And while they shut out electricity, they go outside and they just shoot at every house, every car, every person that might be in the streets. I think this um, is so hard for Americans to even conceptualize, right? Um, and, you know, like yeah. I think so many Americans, we right now <laughs> try to wish to be completely apolitical, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're like, oh my God, drama. Like to us, um, politics is the, the fights on Facebook, you know? Um, but yeah. the current regime is trying to, this is not a real word, but Islamicize the uh, whole country. And when you list all those things and the reason that they're doing them, we can see, oh yeah, this is a terrible idea. However, in the US, it's common for us to hear Christian communities. I heard this in my own Christian community years ago. Let's take America back to God, you know, and we used the word radical and it was, we didn't think anything of it. So I'm I'm curious because you're an Iranian living in a conservative part of the US, what's your take on that? What's your take on the, you know, let's bring America back to God when you look at what's going on in Iran? Well, not only Iran, if we look back in history, every time religion and politics got mixed up as a result of that, the only good the only thing that happened was just millions and millions of people just died. Um, and there is a reason that politics should not be mixed with religion, um, because there are things that happen in politics that do not necessarily follow the words of God. For instance, what's happening in Iran is that the politicians are using the name of a religion, Islam, but using the name of the religion, they make up laws as they wish, as they please, and they... Um, say that according to Islam, this is what it is. This is what God wants. But meanwhile, I have Muslim friends who have shown me that they do not believe that. That's not their belief. It's not in Islam. They fight. They say that, no, Islamic Republic of Iran does not represent Muslims around the world. They're just using the name of religion. So if we do allow the politicians in America to use, for instance, Christianity and mix that up with politics, then they can interpret the Bible as they wish and uh, make anything that they want become a law and put the name of God on that. For instance, in Iran right now, um, if they imprison a girl before they can execute it, because there is a verse in Quran that says a virgin girl would go to heaven, they have to rape the girl before they execute her. And it's considered lawful because of that verse that comes in Quran that if we rape her, she's no longer going to heaven. So she goes to heaven. Uh, she goes to hell as a criminal because she's done a sin, even though they have raped the virgin girl. Um, so if we allow religion and politics mix up, um, that's what's going to happen in our country. And we need to remember that our founding fathers, why did they come to America? Because of freedom of religion. What what the King of England was essentially doing was mixing religion and using religion as a source of power to do as he wishes on people, and um, it never ends well. So, so humans that's my have, take. Yeah, humans have basically proven that. Listen, you can't over handle and this. over again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I read that there's 80 million people in Iran, and that the median age is around 31, which is young. What is it about? 
Iran's young population that makes this revolution special? Um, there are 84,000 people, I mean, every 84 million people in Iran right now. And the thing about the young people, the younger population of Iran is that um, they have been exposed to the Western world through TikTok, Instagram, <laughs> social media. They have seen what's outside, what what a free life should look like, um, what what it means to have a free life, what it means to have a normal life. Um, years before that, before the era of technology and internet, people's interactions and um, relationship with the entire world was cut off by the Islamic Republic of Iran. In fact, that's why they completely decided to shut down internet because they don't want the people of Iran to know what's happening in the world. Um, the media in Iran is completely controlled by the government. So you might have seen videos of the people of Iran saying death to America or like there are these protests where they're burning flags of Israel or America. Those are actually the government's people. They gather around and they film this scene that is supposed to be the people of Iran. And then they send that off to BBC, CNN and big news media. And that's the only thing that's coming out of that's been coming out of Iran for years. But lately, we've been able to see some footage and videos that are actually coming from the people of Iran, one of which is my favorite that I actually was able to experience is that during September 11th memorial, people of Iran got outside with candles in their hands, oh. trying to show their sympathy for the people of America. So the the younger population of Iran, the younger generation, not only they are highly educated, they are completely aware of what's happening in the world. Um, they actually, if you go to Iran, if you go to a village and ask a little eight-year-old about the capital cities of every country in the world, they're going to be able to tell you about that because they have, because the government has been for years trying so hard to cut their contact with the rest of the world, it has made people even more eager to learn about the world. So people are now more educated than ever about what's happening in the Western world, what do they deserve, what kind of life they can have, and how is their government corrupting their economy, corrupting their life? Why is the richest country in the world, um, the country that has the best land for any kind of agriculture, gas, oil, gold, having to be a third world country where its people are suffering from extreme poverty? People now know, and I'm about to talk about some of those reasons and What's happening to the oil, steel, gas, gold of Iran? Yeah, let's dive into that. And because the first, we're going to cover today three reasons why Americans, um, my audience is mostly American, but really the world should care about the people of Iran and what's going on there. Um, and the first one is women's rights. I think it's also tempting, I'll say easy for anyone to kind of look at what's going on or maybe kind of hear about it peripherally, not really d diving deep and think, okay, so some ladies don't want to wear hijab. What, you know, what's the big deal? So explain why women's rights in Iran is a big deal for women everywhere. 
Well, okay, let me start here. <laughs> this one is my favorite because I grew up in Iran um, and I grew up in America and I got to see both sides of the world. When I came to America, my idea was land of freedom where there is equality between men and women. Women are equally respected. And my idea of men and women equality is not that women should go in an Olympics competition against men and be expected to win. My idea of women and men equality is that women have equal opportunities to have a job women have equal respect in the streets in um, public places but um, against my expectations first thing I experienced is when I went to school girls have a dress code guys don't why 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 does a woman have to cover herself but a man doesn't. The next thing I realize is I like to work out. I like to be active. I'm sure you've been to the gym. <laughs> you've worn that cute little legging that, you know, doesn't <laughs> fall down when you bend over. It's like perfect. You know, it makes you look good. It makes you feel good. But then you're at the squat rack trying to squat. And here you go, tying a jacket around your waist because so five men behind in the background are standing there just staring at you disrespectfully while you're minding your own business. You're just working out. You're just there in workout attire, just working out. And they will sit there and stare at you. Especially if you're a curvy woman or an attractive woman, it's like a thousand times worse because there's nothing you could possibly wear that is not going to to be frowned upon. And it bothers me because why do we not teach our sons that they need to be respectful? That if a woman's clothing is too tight, don't stare at it. <laughs> why does the girl have to be the one to cover herself? I also uh, grew up with a lot of my Southern friends coming from conservative families. I came from a conservative family myself. And I remember that it was frowned upon for a girl to laugh too loud. Uh. So if a girl is laughing out loud... That's like, oh my gosh, does she not have any manners? But then if a man laughs aloud, that's perfectly fine. I've had many jobs here in America where if I wanted to move up to a higher position, um, I was considered an attractive woman. My boss would have additional offers that if I refused, not going to get the promotion. Wait, that, that really happened to you? Yeah. I actually used to work at Addison Airport. <laughs> She's in like, Dallas. I'm going to call out the name of the I'm going to call them out. <laughs> and we used to be the customer service representative girls. And I remember there were some um, really, really wealthy men that would come and they had their private jets. And, you know, they wouldn't um, directly tell you, but they'd be like, do you want to come see the inside of my airplane? Do you want to fly to Vegas with me for the day? And, you know, if you were the girl who would laugh and flirt along and go in the airplane, then you're going to get tips and they're going to make a good recommendation about you to your boss and you're going to become the manager. But if you were the girl who was more conservative and, you know, had some respect for herself, then you're not going to go so far yep. at that job. And things like that happen. Things like that still exist. And, what women in Iran are doing right now, it's not just about hijab. It's about equality in general. They're like, it's 2020. A woman should be able to laugh out loud. A woman should be able to have a tattoo. A woman should be able to dye her hair red. <laughs> and it's for, okay, it's her hair. You know, she should have a right to dress as she wishes. Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go in the street wearing a bikini, but... 
if a woman wants to wear a red dress because it makes her feel good or red lipstick, it shouldn't be considered rebellious and like shouldn't be frowned upon. Um, a woman should be able to, you know, do sports, to play music, to ride the bicycle, to ride a motorcycle. Like those things are illegal in Iran, believe it or not, riding a bicycle, riding a motorcycle, singing. A woman in Iran is not allowed to sing. Um, so that's why they're standing up. But I feel like, well, to them, they're going through an extreme version of it. But we are also being affected at some point um, by being considered secondhand citizens. And I don't know about you, Meredith, but I'm sick and tired of it. Because when I look at a man, I see a human. When a man looks at me, I want him to see a human. Um, I want him to see a human first and then a woman. And I do not want to be considered a secondhand um, citizen. I don't want to consider it emotional if I want to run for a governor, if I want to have power, if I want to be a boss, if I'm having a bad day, I don't want it to be blamed on my feminine hormones. Like men have bad days, they get hormonal, you know, so I'm sick and tired of all of that. And I feel like a lot of women here in the Western world will agree with some of the things I said, if not all. And if we do support the women of Iran, this will become the first ever women's right movement that is asking for equality and respect for women around the entire world, not just Iran. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. If you ever wonder where I find guests for the show, the answer is it varies a lot. And since it's something that gets asked a lot, I started including the backstory of each episode in my Monday emails. And then on Saturday, I share cliff notes and clickable links in case what you heard was so good you wish you could have taken notes. If you want to be included, text REAL to 66866 if you're in the US or go to MeredithForReal.com if you're elsewhere. If you've got backyard barbecue plans for 2022, but mosquitoes are not invited, I recommend Insect. I've been using their pest control service for several years now. They have a certified mosquito identification specialist on staff. And pollinator care is always top of mind. If you live in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. If you watch the show on YouTube, then you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. This is just one museum under the umbrella of the UWF Historic Trust. If you're planning a trip to Pensacola and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket. It's good for a whole week. Get your tickets in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. And that's powerful. I think there's, uh, you know, in America, I think we have, uh, you know, a tendency to, you know, USA, USA, like, (laughs) like we've been chanting number one for so long that it's kind of ingrained in our psyche, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. So when we look at a country that, you know, many consider, you know, third world and, you know, people don't realize like most Iranians are way more educated than, than U.S. citizens. (laughs) But, um, so, you know, with that perspective, if Iran, you know, 
gains these women's rights, I think it'll be a powerful statement for policy making in the U.S. And I, I, I could just, I don't know, I, I could see where it would bring us together and uh, be a, a powerful collaboration. I think when I look back at video footage of Iran in the 70s, it, I'm just so intrigued. Like it makes me want to time travel, you know? And so we should, let's move on to our second uh, reason because I know you and I could talk about this particular topic for <laughs> quite a while. Um, so th the second topic is that uh, we should care about Iran is because of the relationship between Russia and China. Is that correct? Yes. And, um, before we go there, I wanted to make a point that, um, Iranian women, um, are now 90, 90% of the Iranian women have college education, despite Impressive. the fact that there are no jobs up, up available for them. <laughs> um, one really sad thing that I learned when I went to a pharmacy school is that I learned only 2% of the U.S. population have a doctorate degree or, or pursue a doctorate degree. So I feel like, and, women are considered minority group, considered the lower end of the 2%. Um, and I feel like this movement can make a change, make a difference um, in the future of our female population in this country. But moving on to the next topic. So as you mentioned earlier about Iran um, 44 years ago, Iran used to be one of the richest and strongest allies of America. Iran was also... America's connection and um, voice in the OPEC at the time. And now I'll get into the details of how that influences, how, why is that important? Why is it important for America to have a, such a strong voice in OPEC? Explain what OPEC is. So OPEC is the um, group of the countries in the Middle East who own the oil in the Middle East and, and America and some of the other countries are within that group. And Iran is the country that owns one third of that oil. In fact, um, that's the reason that Arabs for years have been trying to fight with Iranians to make the Persian Gulf, the Arabian Gulf, because of how much oil that Gulf in particularly the side with Iran contains. So, um, our government has been trying to put pressure on the Iranian government for years now. And one of the things that our governors did was put sanctions on Iran in order to pressurize the government of Iran. Um, while that was happening, Iran and China made a $60 billion agreement um, or contract at the same side, on the side from the sanctions that America was making, putting on Iran. So what did that billion? billion dollar contract contained. The contract was a deal that China will get um, access to Iran's steel, oil and gas and any kind of resources for dirt cheap price, while the rest of the world is paying the highest amount that they could possibly pay for oil. Um, China gets a very, very cheap deal from Iran. And in return, China will give Iran technology, um, would give Iran military weapons, jets, and also um, a lot of the resources that the sanctions were taking away from Iran, China will be providing that to Iran. And for so how long? What is, it's still going on. Um, so it started, the, I think the agreement was made in 2020 um, and it's still going on. So that agreement did two things. One, 
It made our attempt to put sanctions and restraints on the Iranian government a complete failure. The only thing that resulted from these sanctions is that the innocent people of Iran who do not represent their government and do not want to have anything to do with this government are now um, don't have access to medication or technology. Um, and that's the only thing that the sanction did. And their economy just got worse because Iran started selling the oil and gas and everything for dirt cheap prices to China instead of the rest of the world. And um, people are not getting anything out of that. So poverty just got extreme in Iran and people don't have access to medication or anything else. But our sanctions were a complete failure on pressurizing the government of Iran because as a result of that, this contract was made and now China is benefiting from that in a huge way. Um, another side from that is that my father-in-law actually works in the ports and we were having a discussion with my husband and he was saying that our containers come full from China and get back to China empty. Um, we know that we have a lot of debt to this country and we were providing the steel, we were providing the technology. Well, now with the deal that China made with Iran, China has access to all these resources for very cheap prices from Iran, meaning that it no longer depends on us for some of of these resources. Another end of this contract was the resulting OPEC plus um, con agreement that was made in September, which was basically initiated with Saudi Arabia. So with Iran no longer being an ally of America, Saudi Arabia became the main country that sells us the oil from the Middle East. So what Saudi Arabia realized is that Low supplies, high demand. If you know anything about supply demand curve, <laughs> you know what's going on there. Um, so as a result, they decided to cut back the oil um, production by 100,000 barrels per day. And they are deciding to continue charging us $100 per barrel, which what it means for us is that gas prices are not going to go lower than $4 a gallon at the cheapest anytime soon, as long as this is happening, um, because Iran is cooperating with China, selling the oil really cheap to China, meaning that Saudi Arabia and the rest of the countries in OPEC are at complete power to charge us as much as they want and as high as they want and as cut, cut us back as much as they want, which with the current situation of our economy, you can only imagine what effect that can have. Well, it sheds a lot of light too on some of the human rights abuses that are also happening in China, you know, um, yeah. because some, some, maybe people don't know, but like the, in China, there's been basically a Holocaust against the Uyghur Muslims for a while and you don't really hear about it. And, you know, we, yeah. when we do hear about it or when we talk about it, we kind of look at each other and think like, well, why not? Um, but what you're describing kind of sheds a light on also Russia, but like all of that, yeah. you know, <laughs> So I'm actually going to get to Russia next. Oh, so our perfect. government made two attempts um, so far, two main major attempts directly with Iran, um, not considering the war we had with the countries around Iran, um, taking away tens, 15 years of our um, veterans' lives. And at the end of it, Taliban still exists, ISIS still exists, Iran still exists. Um, aside from that, there was a sanctions that was a complete failure and then um i don't i don't know if you remember meredith but um barack obama made a nuclear deal with iran um during his presidency and he paid 1.6 billion dollars to iran 
in order for Iran to sign a contract, a negotiation agreement to stop its nuclear research. Well, when I heard at the time, I laughed because to me, that was just like, what is happening? We are paying the devil money to honor their end of agreement. We're talking about a country that's killing eight-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids of their own country. They're um, stripping their own people away from the money and resources that belongs to them, that's from them. And we're expecting them to honor, honor their end of agreement. And for doing so, we're paying them $1.6 billion of our U.S. taxpayers' money. Now, I don't know about you, when I get my paycheck, 36% of my paycheck is paid in taxes to the government. When I think about that 30%, uh, 36% of my money that I work extra hours for being paid to the Iranian government to sign an agreement, it just makes me angry. But what happened is that during these past 60 days, um, the anonymous hacker group were able to hack one of the Iranian um, government's databases and some documents were leaked that showed that Iran has in fact used that $1.6 billion towards their nuclear research. But not only that, Iran and Russia have for years been making contracts where Iran was funded by Russia and is continuously being funded by Russia to continue this nuclear deal. Meantime, China is providing Iran with scientists and technology for this nuclear deal. And then the nuclear weapons that are made by Iran per that contract are being sent to Russia. As a matter of fact, you actually might have just seen in news that Iran just signed a deal to send um, a number of drones to Russia to fight Ukraine. Um, that one is out in public, but this was a document that was leaked that they have been cooperating for years over this nuclear deal. So our government's second attempt at stopping or pressurizing the government of Iran was a complete failure because we just paid them to farther advance this nuclear research and send it all to Russia. And um, even though that was not our intention, that was not our government's intention, that is what has happened. So politically and economically speaking, um, Iran is now stronger than ever. China is less dependent on us for any kind of resources or trade. Russia is now gaining nuclear weapons from Iran and OPEC is just raising up gas prices for as far up as they want. And our country is currently going through inflation. Our economy is currently struggling. If this government remains in Iran and if these deals continue, just imagine what happens to the future of economy and future of safe our safety. Yeah. And our safety, I think, you know, economy and safety are two big hot buttons with U.S. citizens, especially those who were old enough to remember the attacks during 9-11, right? That was probably yeah. the first time that, at least in my generation, where we felt, are we safe? You know? And so what you've described, at least fr from my ears, really helps me to conceptualize why ending violence, uh, system, you know, systematic violence in Iran helps to end problems and violence in all these other places and keep us safer in the U.S. And so, yes. I mean, 
this is such a huge topic and it's so hard for people to wrap their brains around it. You know, if, if people are particularly um, empathetic, you know, it, it, it feels heavy, feels like a wet blanket, right? So it's hard to like seek out this information and follow those social accounts that keep up to date because so many of us struggle with mental health, but, um, but at the end of the day, like you said, we're all human. And so I'm just so grateful that we're having this conversation. I know we're not done yet, but I'm just so grateful for it because this is, it's just hard to wrap our brains around it. And you're doing such a great job of helping us understand why ending violence in Iran ends violence in other places too. So take us to that third reason why the world should care about what's going on in Iran. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you actually pointed about empathy um, and about us as U.S. citizens um, empathizing with the rest of the world. Um, I am, a, when I identify myself, I think of myself as an, a Persian American Baha'i woman. Mm-hmm. And when I think of myself as an American, I am proud of my country. I am proud of what I represent. Now, the reason I wanted to have this podcast talk with you was to kind of remind people of what this whole event in Iran kind of reminded me of. What does it mean to us to be American? When you travel anywhere to the world, in the world, to Europe, to Asia, when you say you're from America, first thing anybody thinks is, oh, America, land of freedom, land of dreams, um, a place where everybody has their human rights. And that's true. As a Persian woman, I come from an ancient culture which um, was ruled by this great empire once in the uh, once in the day, whose name is actually in the Bible, um, in Isaiah 45, you can hear, read about Cyrus the Great and what a great person he was, what a great leader he was. And, um, he, when he took over Babylon, he basically freed a lot of slaves. He was the first person who said everybody should have freedom to religion. Everybody should have a freedom of speech and be able to, um, talk about what they expect of their government. And when I think about that, when I came to America and I became a U.S. citizen, the first thing I learned was that first amendment of our constitution that gives us those human rights. And when I was told about that first amendment that has um, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, um, to me, that gave me chills. That was significant because the guy who was actually doing our citizenship gave a really good speech. And he said, starting today, you now represent this constitution. And as an American, it is your duty to protect this constitution, to protect these amendments, and to protect these human rights, not only for yourself, but for everyone in the world and for generations to come. And when I think about what's happening in Iran, a system of government that is just constantly gaining power, trying to basically take away this very... um exact freedoms that I represent as an American, that identifies who I am as an American. And it starts with Iran, but their goal and their aim um, by just creating nuclear weapons and doing all these evil things is to eventually take over the world. And um, if we don't do anything about it, and if we let them continue what they're doing, and they have China and Russia, which are both very strong, powerful countries behind their back, that may eventually happen. 
And I feel like if I allowed it to happen, I have failed my duty as a free American who is proud of her constitution and who has made an oath to protect this constitution, to protect this human rights. So then that brings me to the last point, um, which makes me really sad about our generation. It's something I want to talk to people about. Lately, when I've been talking to people about elections, they're like, oh, I'm not voting. doesn't matter. I don't like neither one of the representatives. I don't like the Republicans. I don't like the Democrats. They don't represent me. I'm just not going to vote. Or when I tell people when there is something happening in the United States or in the world, well, first of all, many people don't even care about the world news. They think that it doesn't affect us. It doesn't influence us. Well, when you are the greatest nation in the world, when your economy affects the world, when majority of the jobs, institutions here are global, anything that's happening in the world affects us, affects this country. So it is extremely important for us to be educated about the world news and what's happening around us and how does that affect us. The second thing is that what we have forgotten is that 36% of our tax money is paid to the people that we elect. So these people are hired by us and we are paying them to do work for us. We need to tell them what we want them to do. We need to tell them what we want them to do with our money. We want what, how we want them to protect our country. We need to have a voice. If we fail, if we fail to be a voice, to have a voice, what's happened to Iran can very well happen to us. 43 years ago, if you would have asked my father, um, who was a 20 something year old guy in Iran, that one day Iran is going to become the poorest country of the world and its people are going to be miserable and it'd be ruled by a dictatorship, he would have laughed at your face. Be like, that's never happening to such great nation. 43 years later, look at Iran right now. And the only reason that happened is for so many years, people were scared, were afraid, were not being the voice, were not doing anything and allowed this system of government to have complete power. And I kind of feel like as Americans, we need to kind of wake up, remember what we represent, remember our duty, remember our constitution. The land of freedom would no longer be a land of freedom if its people don't understand their freedoms and don't protect those freedoms and don't stand up for those freedoms. And right now, the biggest human rights movement in the world is happening. So I feel like as Americans, it specifically um, and mostly affects and influences us because I personally feel responsible to stand up and say something. Because we might not feel fear, but what you're saying is substitute fear for apathy and you have the same outcome. Yes. So other than being knowledgeable about what's going on and maybe talking about it with friends, what can we do as Americans to support the Iranian people? So I'm going to start with the least, the smallest thing we can do um, is that Share the news with as many people as you can on social media, on bigger media sources. Every little county and town and city has their local newspaper, magazine, college news, university news, TV sources. If you don't feel comfortable to talk and speak up um, to these sources, then raise awareness on your social media. But instead of just sharing a little post that says woman life freedom with three colors in the background <laughs> where people would look at it and be like, yay, but they don't really know what it represents. Share 
how you personally relate to what's happening in Iran in your own words. You know, maybe you're a mother whose son was a veteran and went to Afghanistan for 10 years and lost his life. And you're infuriated that, you know, that happened and these governments are still existing. And here we are paying them $1.6 billion to get even stronger. Share your news in your own world. Or you might be a girl that is wanting to have a better future that wants to have complete equality and freedom. And you connect with this woman in Iran asking for the same thing, then mention that in your own words. Another thing that we can do is that we have, um, other than our governments, we have institutions like the United Nations Human Rights, um, UNICEF. We pay these people to represent us aside from our politicians. So if politicians are not doing their job right and our lives as human beings is in danger, our rights are in danger, these people are hired and they're getting paid to do something. Well, unfortunately, ever since things have, have been happening in Iran and in Ukraine, um, United Nations has not done a single thing. The only thing they've done is that they've expressed that they're worried and that they are upset, but they have not really put any restrictions. In, in fact, Khamenei, um, the leader of Iran, is actually in the Human Rights um, Woman Council of UN, which doesn't make any sense because the very person that considers men um, to be animal and to be created for men's pleasure only, and that's the only purpose that they, he believes that we exist, is on the Council for Women's Rights. Um, and nobody's saying anything about it, and UN has not kicked him out yet. Um, another thing that's been happening is that this government has been killing children and they just signed a contract to send drones to kill children in Ukraine. And UNICEF has done nothing, hasn't even posted, a, shared a post or a story on their social media about what's happening on, in Iran. So it makes me question, what are they doing? What is their role? And when are they going to take it? an action what if another terror attack happens here in america is unicef going to just stay quiet and are we not supposed to let them know that we are watching them and that we have expectations of them because if we don't do anything and don't say anything next thing something happens here they're going to do the same thing they're going to stay quiet and express their concern but do nothing to help so i beg of you to contact united nations or unicef and ex tell them that you have expectations demand for their help. Um, the third thing that you can do is that if you do a simple Google search, you're going to find your Senate, your representatives, contact them. They work for you. You pay these people. What's happening in Iran is a cause of problems with inflation, is a cause for gas prices to rise, is the reason why egg was like a dollar fifty and now it's like five dollars. That's the reason these things are happening. Call your representatives, express your concerns, ask them to take more serious action. The reason that right now is the best time for us to do something is that there is the protest happening in Iran. So there is internal, extreme internal pressure on the Iranian government. The people of Russia have also risen and they want to help the people of Ukraine. They don't want Putin to be their representatives anymore. So there are protests happening in Russia. Hong Kong has for years been protesting against the current situations in China and the current government of China. So China, Russia and Iran are all pressurized internally. If we put external pressures in Iran, 
the people of Iran will have extreme power to overthrow this government once and for all. And the sooner that happens, the sooner Iran will get a good system of government, will become allies with us, and together we can help to fix the economy, to save the world, to maintain safety. Taliban and ISIS will no longer have financial or military support from Iran. So just think about that. You know, calling your representatives, emailing UN, um, calling UNICEF, posting something personal that that as an American you can relate to with the situation in Iran can do extremely helpful things for people of Iran to get rid of this terrorist Islamic Republic regime once and for for all, for not only for Iran, but for all of us around the world. And I'm going to put all of those resources um, in the episode description so that even if somebody isn't subscribed to my email list, they can have access to them. And then in my email list, I'll put more, you know, detailed, more resources that people can click on to take action because, you know, People, I think my listeners are action oriented. I believe that they are. And I believe that they follow their curiosity to see where it goes. And so I'm really hopeful that at least here that we can make a difference. Thank you again, Shadi. I'm so glad we met and I'm so glad <laughs> that you. we did this. Thank you. That the was awesome. Pleasure. The pleasure was all mine. And last thing I would say, I do have an Instagram page where I post videos and, um, images and any documents I find from Iran and I translate everything to English with the full story. So if you want to, you can follow me on Instagram. My account is um, a little funky, so I'm sorry. It was my personal account, but it's that underline fit underline doctor. Um, Meredith would provide that for you, I'm sure. But thank you so much for having me. It it really means a lot. And I appreciate anyone that uh, was listening to my story. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've loved a couple episodes of the show, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help potential guests know that this show is legit and I have an engaged audience. It really does make a difference. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one with a woman who is forced into marriage in the U.S. and how this practice is legal in most U.S. states. It's episode 48. Stay tuned next week when I talk with a physician about grieving during the holidays.